All right, take your Bibles, please, and join me in Genesis chapter 12. Let's return to our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis. We'll begin today by reading verses 4 through 8 of Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, you'll often see it as Shechem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. Last time we covered verses 4 and 5 of Abram's journey by faith. Prior to verse 4, God has already called Abram to come out of Ur of the Chaldees, to leave his kindred, to leave his father's house, and to go unto a land that God would show him. This is a journey by faith. So is our life. And while he was obedient to leave Ur, he was not in full obedience. He brought along his father and his nephew, but still, he's moving by faith. And we need to recognize that, and the book of Hebrews verifies that. But as they're journeying up, probably the river Euphrates, to go up and around the Arabian desert, they get to this place called Haran, and there they dwell, which means they stayed there for an extended period of time. And while there, Abram's father, Terah, passed, which is when verse 4 here picks up, and they head again toward the land of Canaan. And at the age of 75, and his wife being 65, Abram and Sarai pick up everything, and they head for the land of Canaan again. But still, his nephew Lot comes along. So this is still partial obedience, but he's still moving by faith. And the application I gave from that last time was we can learn to be gracious with those who are learning to walk with God. Not everybody's going to be at your level that it took you 30 years to get to. And so we should still disciple, we should still caution, and we should stress full obedience. Don't misunderstand me. But it's okay to put an arm around those who are struggling and just encourage them, keep pressing forward by faith. Just keep pressing forward. There were several things we considered last time, and if you missed it, you really ought to listen to it to get it all. But remember, this was a difficult move for them, humanly speaking. Abram and Sarai are aging. They are completely cutting ties with what they know, and they're heading into a foreign land to dwell in tents. And the main emphasis last time was what kept Abram going was the fact that he had kept an eye 
on that heavenly city, that heavenly country that God has prepared for us. And I wouldn't have time to recap it all, but he searched for a city whose builder and maker was God. He knew it was not the land of Canaan. He confessed that he was a pilgrim and a stranger upon the earth. And following the plan of God for your life, it won't always be easy. But we can keep going by faith when we keep our eye on the promises God has for us. God has something better in store for us. Hallelujah. In case you haven't noticed, this world isn't a great place to put your faith in. There's not a whole lot to look forward to upon this earth as far as eternity goes. And so we've got to keep our eye on the Lord. We've got to keep our eye on that heavenly city. We must see the promises afar off. We must be persuaded of them. We must embrace them because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. With the eyes of faith, we keep seeking that heavenly country while we sojourn here below. So keep laying up treasures in heaven. That's all you'll have. You can't take anything with you, but you can send it ahead. So keep laying up treasures in heaven. You may only be a sojourner upon the earth, but never forget where you're going to end up. And you may never have great possessions on this earth, but never forget what awaits us. Keep following God by faith. And now we come to verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem. Sounds like he's talking to a dog. Amen. Sikkim dog. It's, it's dog, right? If you say Sikkim, it's dog. All right, some of y'all have no idea. Unto the plain of More. That's a More. All right. <laughs> there it is. I found it. All right, let's focus. For real, stop. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And so as Abram departs Haran, he is initially heading southwestward toward the land of Canaan. And like Israel today, the land of Canaan is, was longer north to south than it was east to west. And we are told Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim. And so Abram enters the land of Canaan from the north and he is heading directly southward through the land, and he stops at this city, which, generally speaking, it's right in the middle of the land of Canaan. And while this is the first mention of Shechem in the Bible, it's not going to be the last. This city shows up many times. It is a significant location in your Bible. It appears once here in verse 6 as, Sikkim, S-I. Most commonly you'll see it as Shechem, S-H. And that's throughout the Old Testament. And it's also a man, a name of a man later in Genesis. And you'll see it as Sikkim, S-Y in Acts 7. And it's also called Sychar in John chapter 4. And just a few highlights about Shechem. This is where Abram, we'll see later, he builds an altar unto the Lord. This is where Jacob is going to have his household put away the strange gods 
that are among them, and he's going to bury them at the base of an oak in Shechem. This is where Joshua will call upon the children of Israel to put away their strange gods from among them. And this is the place where Joshua will famously say, Choose you this day whom ye will serve. And he says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Shechem becomes a city of refuge after the wars of Canaan. The the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, are going to be buried in Shechem. This is where Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, will be made king. This is where Jesus meets the woman at the well. So this gives you an idea of the significance of this place, Shechem. And it all begins here with Abram. We're told at the end of verse 6, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Well, that's a problem. God said, I'm going to give you this land. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. There are peddlers out there, preachers if you will, that want to convince you that a life of faith and following God is going to be a life of ease filled with prosperity. If you followed God closely, you know that's not always true. But what we see here is Abram has been called out of one wicked country to go into another wicked country. Thanks, Lord. Remember, following the promises of God won't always be easy. Remember from the end of chapter 9 that the Canaanites are the descendants of cursed Cain. And his perversion didn't die off with Cain. It continued on. And this is a land where perversion abounds in the land of Canaan. In the next chapter, we're going to be introduced to a city called Sodom here in the land of Canaan. And that's where the Sodomites were dwelling. They're called exceedingly wicked. And I think we all know how perverse they were. And their tribe hasn't died off today. Canaan is who gave rise to all of those ites that are dwelling in the land. In fact, the land of Canaan is so wicked that God is going to use the children of Israel in just over 400 years from this point to drive them off of the land and consume a lot of them once the iniquity of the Amorites is full. At least God's charge is to drive them out. They didn't completely do that, but that's down the road in Judges. And my point is, there's no place on this earth where sin does not abound, geographically speaking. It is everywhere you go. There's no place for you to go upon this earth where you're going to be completely surrounded by godliness. It'd be nice. It'd be nice to have a mayor that was in our church. Politicians in our church. Doctors and lawyers and people of influence and position and be living in a city where everybody loves the Lord and we all sing kumbaya, right? I I don't even know what that means. So if it means something bad, just strike it from the record. But apparently that's what you sing when you got a guitar around the fire. It'd be great if that was happening. Listen, those places just don't exist. I understand that there's places that are more wicked than others. And as God calls us out, He calls us to places, and those places are wicked places. 
There's no easy place in America today to plant a church. Secular employment is not going to be easy. I have a hard enough time working with Tyler Brock. (laughs) Some places are worse than others, and even here in the great state of South Dakota, whoop, hallelujah, I'm glad I'm here. Even in the great state of South Dakota, wickedness is all around us. Even in the once great Bible Belt, wickedness was there then and wickedness is certainly there today. I know because I grew up there. So we have to do, like I said last time, confess that we are strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And as we journey in this life, we must keep looking and heading for our heavenly country and city whose builder and maker is God. There is no perfect place here on this earth. There is no new land to go get. But there's a city awaiting the children of God where the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple thereof. There's a city where there's no need of the sun for the glory of God and of the Lamb are the light therein. There's a city where there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter in. And I'm talking about that new Jerusalem, the city of the living God. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to live above the world. Though Satan's darts at me are hurled, for faith has caught a joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright, but still I'll pray till heaven I've found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Hey, listen, is it difficult where you're at this morning? Are there Canaanites around you? Just keep pressing on the upward way. Keep shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Keep being that square peg in a round hole. Keep living by faith. Keep looking for that heavenly city and stay the course with God. Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things Uh, which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But I don't want you to miss this. While we dwell and live in a land of wickedness around wicked people, surrounded by Canaanites, it does not mean that your fellowship with God has to be interrupted or impacted negatively. It doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy the presence of the Lord. Notice the beginning of verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said. How about that? Even in the midst of a wicked people, Abram still enjoys the presence of the Lord. He enjoys fellowship with his Lord. He still heard from his Lord. He successfully walked with his God among a wicked people. 
Listen to me, please. You do not need a perfect situation in order to have a healthy walk with God. You don't need a different spouse or a different family in order to enjoy a healthy walk with God. Somebody help me preach. You don't need a different job to walk with God. You don't need to move to another city to walk with God. You don't need a better financial situation to walk with God. You don't need better health to walk with God. No matter your lot in life, you can still enjoy the Lord's presence. James 4, 7 and 8, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You see, you're as close to God today as you choose to be. So what's your excuse? Do you find yourself ever thinking, if I could only this, then my walk with God would be stronger. Have you ever thought those things? If you do think like that, then I want you to know the problem is not your circumstances. You can change all the externals around you that you want. You can change your location. You can change your income. You can change everything that you want. None of that will change your heart. You draw near to God with your heart. Consider Daniel who was yanked out of Judea and taken captive into Babylon. And yet there, he still enjoyed sweet communion with his God through it all. Consider Paul and Silas who had been arrested and they find themselves in jail and they sing praises to God in spite of their circumstances. Consider our Lord who endured such contradiction of sinners and yet He never wavered. You can have a close walk with God, but it's your choice. You have to choose to be in God's Word. You have to choose to be in prayer. You have to choose to be faithful to church. God has made it possible for every one of us to be close to Him today. So stop blaming everything and everyone and just get with it already. Well, the Lord appears to Abram and says, Unto thy seed will I give this land. We're hearing a lot about that in the news, aren't we? Now how about this? God told Abram, leave your native land. And now God says, I'm going to give you this land. God told Abram to leave his family, but then God said, you're going to be a blessing to all families. God may call us to give up some things in this life, But rest assured, God has something better in mind. Just keep following the promises of God. Matthew 19, 29, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my namesake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. I want you to notice the progression here that we find. God told Abram to go, but God said, I will show you as you go. God said to go to the land of Canaan, and to the land of Canaan, Abram went, 
And now God says, I will give you this land to your seed. Abram did not know this before he left Ur of the Chaldees. Everybody with me? And God often reveals more to you as you obey Him by faith. Everybody wants to know the end from the beginning in this life. And that's not how God operates. You have to take each step of your life by faith as God reveals it to you. God calls you to go. Lord, where are we going? I'll show you when we get there. Just follow me. Be faithful to take the step you do know. Abram knew this at at the beginning. Come out of that land. And you take that step that you do know. God said, now I want you to go to the land of the Canaan. You take that step that you do know. And then there God said, I'm going to give you this land to your seed. Just be faithful. As you faithfully follow God, He will reveal more to you. He will continue to bless you in that initial promise as you follow Him. Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. There's a progression. Amen. You've heard me say before, if I would have known from the beginning this is where I would end up, I would have said, later Gator. Amen. You say, well, it's not that hard. You work, what, four hours a week? We also see in this that the faithfulness of a parent can be a blessing to their children. Abram is never going to possess possess the land. The the land's not going to be possessed for over 400 years. But his seed would possess it. Because Abram was faithful to follow the Lord, he was going to be a blessing to those who came after him. Now that's a humbling thought. While our children are in the home, they are blessed as we follow God. Isn't that right? I don't hesitate to let my kids know that. You're blessed in the home because mom and dad are blessed by God. Well, praise the Lord on that little nugget of child rearing. And don't forget it, you're blessed because we decided to walk with God. Hopefully one day they'll do the same with their children. It's just humbling to know we can impact the future. We never know how our decisions today will impact the generations of tomorrow. When Abram set out on this journey, he had no idea this land would be given from God to his posterity. But because he was faithful to walk with God, the generations to follow him are going to be blessed with what becomes known as the land of promise. Parents, are you serving the Lord? You're making an impact on the future generation, whether you realize it or not. And once again in our text, we are drawn back to the promise of Genesis 3.15, and the arrival of the promised seed of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that the seed line is being narrowed down here to Abram. Remember that Sarai is still barren. And for this to come to pass, God's going to have to do this. And God said, I will. And God cannot lie. This will happen. 
Now, notice the response of Abram after seeing and hearing from the Lord at the end of verse 7. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Abram, he builds an altar and blesses God for the promise given that he is never going to see. (laughs) But it's intended for future generations. And now what we find is Abram's faith is being made public for all to see in a wicked land. This is an open demonstration that Abram was refusing the idolatrous practices of the world. Abram did not hide his relationship with God, and neither should we. This altar is an outward sign that Abram was following the one true God, and it would be a reminder to Abram as well of God's goodness towards him. And I believe all of God's children ought to have some altar experiences. You know, we should always worship the Lord, right? But there ought to be some moments in life when you know God has spoken to you. And in those times when God moves in your life, we need to worship and honor God. When's the last time you had an altar experience? You know when they happen because an altar experience will alter your life. I don't mean merely coming to the altar, which I believe is a good and healthy habit for every believer. But I'm talking about those times when you are driven to the altar. I'll never forget when I knew God had called me to this church. I was sitting in a church service in Why Not, My Not, North Dakota. Freezing's the reason. It's a God-forsaken place in the northern tier. Sorry, Mike, if you're watching. Well, I was sitting in a church service, and the pastor, while he was preaching, for some reason I wasn't really tuned in like a lot of you do. (laughs) And I was thinking about David's mighty men, how he got, they got him water from the well of Bethlehem, and I started to think, I wish one would give me water to drink from the well over by the Black Hills. And then the pastor said, turn to Psalm 119.45. And when I read those words, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy thy precepts. God burned deep within me the knowledge that I would be here one day. And I was literally overcome with emotion. I couldn't sit in the church service any longer. I had to get up and I, I left the service and I just wept. And I just called upon the Lord. I knew I had heard directly from God. Are you with me? It was an altar experience that altered my life. Now, to be fair, there were a lot of ups and downs in the six years that followed I won't get into all that, but the point is you should have some moments in your life when you know you've heard directly from God. Well, praise the Lord for altar experiences, but we have to keep going forward. As we see in verse 8, Abram is on the move again. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. 
Just a quick side note here. Bethel is named because this is written after the fact. At this time, it would have still been known as Luz. You can check that out and verify that from Genesis 28, 19, where Jacob changes it from Luz to Bethel. That's when he had the dream of the latter. We see that Abram builds another altar here. But this time, it wasn't because of seeing or hearing from God. Hear me now. He did it because it was the right thing to do. It was just the right thing to do. And and this is where I want to emphasize, it's good for believers to live at an altar. Hopefully there'll be some times you're driven to the altar, but then we should always be willing to go to the altar and worship God. Don't worry, I'm not trying to drum up a response, amen? I don't expect people to move to the altar every service, but you should go when God moves you. And certainly you should have that place where you meet with the Lord somewhere. Some of you don't understand why people routinely come to the altar after preaching, and it's usually because in your pride you refuse to ever go to the altar yourself. And I'll say this, I reckon it's just one of those things you won't fully understand until you give yourself to it. But it is biblical. And you should never, ever look down on those who go to the altar. I've already said I think it's a good and healthy habit for every child of God. And I say that because I've learned the value of the altar myself. And so did Abram. You see, what it, is, what it does is it breaks down your pride. I don't want people to see. I know, you're prideful. Amen, it's okay. We can, we can all still be friends and high five. But that's what it is. Well, praise the Lord, preacher. Thank you. Abram understood this. Whether Abram was in the plain of Moray or in the mountain of Bethel, Abram built an altar. Abram counted the altar a vital part of his walk with God. Now, it's interesting how we're told here that Abram pitched his tent. How many times do you suppose Abram set up his tent so far? Lots of times, amen? Dozens. Maybe more. I mean, they traveled over 400 miles from Haran down to the land of Canaan alone. Why are we given this information? Why are we told this? Well, there appears to be a contrast here between the temporal and the eternal. His tent is only a temporal dwelling. But what took place at the altar was eternal. Are you getting this? His home in this life was only temporal, but his home in that heavenly city would be eternal. Abram understood my life belongs to God. And that the promises given to him from God were dependent upon God. He knew his life here was only temporal, but his worship was eternal. You see, Abram's location is going to continue to change. He's sojourning. But he holds on to the one who never changes. And this is why we should learn to live at an altar. It is a reminder that we are only dwelling here temporarily. It is a reminder that we are dependent upon God. It is a reminder that only the eternal is important. Abram had nothing permanent upon this earth but altars. 
He left nothing behind but altars. What a thought. Luke 9, 57 and 58, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, speaking to Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus was letting this one know, if you're going to follow me, you have no permanent home on this earth any longer. Jesus said, I've got nowhere to lay my head. He had nowhere to lay his head in life. He had nowhere to lay his head in death. They laid him in a borrowed tomb. But our Lord always kept His eye on the eternal. Hallelujah. And if I can put it this way, Jesus left nothing behind but a cross. He only left behind the altar of the cross, if you will. The place where we go to find salvation. The place where we go to be identified with Christ in death. The place we go to be identified with Christ in life. And what are we told to do now? Take up the cross daily and follow Him. Listen to me, only that which is eternal is going to last. Do you need to be saved? Do you need to draw nearer to Him today? Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Him. Why not go to the cross? Give yourself wholly to Him. Maybe someone here today needs to start building an altar. Let's pray.